0: Unloose the Goose, we'll take no use, your paradigms run out of time and we've got no use, Unloose the Goose.
1: Welcome to Unloose the Goose, episode 13 this week, the gaggle is taking on the topic of social conditioning. We're going to talk a bit about what it is, but more than that, where you find it or where you may encounter it, and then some ideas of what to do to take your next steps. On the show tonight, we have John Bush, Xavier Hawk, and Jack Spearkin. And of course, I'm Nicole Sauce. I'm the easiest one to pick out in the voices because I'm a girl. <laughs> Right. Anyway, so I wanted to kick this off first and toss it to you, John. Let's start with what are some examples of social engineering or one example?
2: Uh, One example is what government and their friends in the media do against the American public. And that's like a mass uh, mind control campaign, essentially, where they use fear and anxiety And they get everyone all ramped up and they're so afraid that they willingly give up their rights. And the two biggest examples that come to mind are, of course, what happened after 9-11 with all the fear of al-Qaeda and the other and the Muslim terrorists and what's happening right now with COVID-19. I think those are two prime examples of social engineering, social conditioning that have been really effective.
1: Uh, Xavier, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I think those
3: are two really great examples Um, on a more broad brush stroke. I would say things like college campuses are great social engineering tools as are public school systems, right? It's like, you can go to the bathroom when we tell you we eat when we tell you, if you are in high school and you're trying to become part of the larger tribe outside of your family, you're looking to all of these other people for social cues on how to be accepted, how to be normal, quote unquote. And um, these are ways that, people get mass socially engineered into certain behaviors or certain, you know, ways of thinking.
1: And how do we know when we're being socially engineered? Because I think I don't know that any of us are immune to it.
0: I don't think any of us are immune to it and I, I want to pick up a little bit on where uh Xavier left off with school. Uh I think right down to the point of how we elect our, our supposed leaders in this country is social engineering, because why else would you have kindergartners and first graders doing mock elections for the president of the United States? First president I ever voted for in my life. I was in second grade in Catholic school before I got myself kicked out and I voted for Ronald Reagan. That's the first president I ever voted for. I was a little kid in second grade in 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 Catholic school and I voted for Ronald Reagan because as far as I was concerned, Jimmy Carter must have been a poop head because everybody <laughs> that I knew didn't like him. I had no idea what was going on but I voted. And if you think about the way that chain plays out, so later on you go to a point where you have student government and you can run for student government and so you vote for the person you like the best who's running for class president or whatever, who looks the best or the girl you want to go out with you or, or whatever and then they get elected, and they have no actual power. The the oligarchy of school runs everything. The student government's farce. That sounds (laughs) Right? I mean, that sounds almost exactly like the way I believe elections really work. And so then we vote so that we have the illusion of control, that we have the illusion that we can create change. And what that does is that's the biggest way a government can suppress revolution in the world. You can look all around the world and all types of injustices being done on people, but if you have a country that allows free and open elections for those who can't see me because you're on the audio big air quotes around that Dr. Evil style, they, they have almost no incidence of revolution or insurrection because there's this illusion that oh okay, well we'll just vote harder next time Harry and Lloyd and everything will be better and I think it starts way down there in second grade, first grade, kindergarten and then it just permeates our lives all the way through. And I think the only thing we can do as adults is figure out where it's impacting us and as parents figure out where it's impacting our children and create as much separation from those environments as we can.
1: Great. Okay, so or, as we talk know. about examples of social engineering, it actually makes me think of something I was talking with a friend about the other day where Trump is president and we have Trump derangement syndrome, right? Right. TDS where <laughs> the it real doesn't thing. matter if the guy gets $3 Trump, billion dollars to charity, it's going to be either racist or misogynistic because he gave money to, uh, you know, an orphanage that was all boys or that was all girls or had more boys than girls or more girls. I don't even know wrong, right. wrong racial makeup, not uh, you know, not PC enough. And, Everybody seems to talk to me as if the next guy who gets elected, if it's Biden, that's going to fix everything. And I'm like, no, everybody's going to think he's the Antichrist, too. It doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't matter if a different Republican is running. We are programmed, if we're on one side or the other, if we play that game, to be thinking whoever's in office is the Antichrist, like Obama was, like Clinton was, like everybody since Reagan. The only thing I remember about Reagan is he wasn't the Antichrist, but it seems like since Reagan, no matter who gets elected, is a bad guy.
0: Oh, they hated Reagan, too. Yeah. You didn't yeah. really remember. I was just too young, maybe. <laughs> oh, they hated Reagan. They hated Reagan. I think the media hated Reagan <laughs> almost as much as Trump. He was just much better at, yeah. like, he was much more. So they both make bitches out of the media. He was just like really soft gloved when he punched him in the face, and Trump's like just backhand, pimp like so great style, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ruthless.
2: I, I think it's, it's so- super entertaining all the COVID or the Trump derangement syndrome stuff, and it's you're right. It's he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't on all sorts of fronts, and even when he does good things, people just make up excuses or they put their own spin on it. So it fits their little cozy narrative. And um, just the whole left, right paradigm in America is an example of social conditioning where everyone falsely believes there's only two choices or only two ways to do things. And then you get involved with their team. There's a lot of herd mentality. Human beings are social animals, but I think it's really amplified through social conditioning, and social engineering, but so much today so the division is absolutely nuts and everyone thinks about they don't have as much of what they stand for and like not principles and values rather what they're against defines them and defines their politics and it's gotten really nasty but super entertaining to watch
3: truly i think like our flag the unloosed. The goose flag is yellow. And that's like I I said on one of the last ones, uh, the last episodes, you have red versus blue. But there are three colors in the primary color wheel. Right. And the yellow is the radiant path where we say, why are people fighting with each other for no good reason? You know, what's the higher, higher route here? And if they have us battling one another and it's like the this guy's the Antichrist. Now, this guy's the Antichrist. And all they're doing is fighting. And then we're over here being like, you know, there's actually a balance. Right. And historically, they always called the cowards the yellow, you know, yellow bellies or whatever. And it's really because we're standing back and saying, wait a minute, there's a better, better way to do this, right? And if we are part of that social dynamic where we're like, oh, that guy's an evil person, we're falling into that 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 dichotomy, divide and conquer. And that's like the biggest social engineering in the, in the history of mankind, because we're all social, creative beings that are herd mentality, and we want to not seem out of place, because that's dangerous. That's where the monsters get you.
0: So I, the, I agree with everything you said, Xavier, but just for the record, our flag is supposed to be freaking gray and black, but Nicole won't change the graphic. <laughs> or give me the, uh, oh, power.
1: is that in the uh, podcast or on YouTube? Which one? <laughs> on YouTube.
0: On YouTube. Oh, we, have, we still have the yellow flag that we stole from somebody on like um Etsy or something. Uh, yeah. Boris we wow. Flag and I beat up Jake Reed and made him do it right and all, and Nicole just won't do it or give me the power to fix it.
1: I gave you the power to fix it ages ago. You just don't know how to use your power, Jack.
0: Not on YouTube. You made me a manager. I can do all kinds of things, but I can't change the cha- channel makeup at all.
1: Oh, I can yeah. send you the user and password to our Gmail account. That would be account.
0: cool. Then I can fix like, <laughs> up all your stuff. <laughs> be great. I
1: haven't changed it because I have had like negative time for the last four weeks. Sorry about that. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The yes-no thing or the A-B thing or the one-zero thing that we do with presidents is a great tool for training your kids, though, isn't it? Because when they're like, I don't want to eat my broccoli, you say, okay, well, you can eat your broccoli or you can have this cauliflower.
0: Right.
1: You know, and you give them the two choices and then they're tricked into thinking they only have two choices and it totally works. Have you guys ever done that?
0: No, you're way nicer than oh, me. I had the Jack go top of the refrigerator technique for dealing with my son when he wouldn't eat his dinner. Mm-hmm. So you just take the plate of food and you put it up on top of the refrigerator. And he said, what's that for? Well, when you're hungry again, I'll bring it back down and you could eat it. <laughs> if you make yeah. it through to breakfast, you get breakfast. But you don't get anything else today until you eat your dinner. I got one, you got one choice. We had a, a monarchy in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the household. But but never the dictatorship, dictatorship right? a not to eat right. He did have the choice not to eat at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean that. Go ahead, John.
0: But Yeah, we
3: like, we've got the playground to play in, you know, and and we have free choice within the walls. But if you go past the walls, like whoa, watch out.
2: Yeah, the plantation. I just uh, picked up on the word that you use, trained, and like training children, <laughs> and. You know, there's all sorts of different parenting styles, but I, I think that the social conditioning happens, uh, earliest on with the parents socially conditioning the children. And the parents are often socially conditioning the children in order to fit into the social condition of the day. And I've noticed a lot of, a lot of right. angst and, um, stress and anxiety and even aggression that parents exhibit towards children oftentimes is, uh, so that they themselves don't feel insecure or people talking about them or they're not living up to some sort of standard that society has set. And so as far as solutions and stuff, there's a fine balance, right? And that's something that I've learned as a parent. When we started, it was like radical unschooling, total freedom. And then my dad would always be like, well, let's see what your children are like when they get a little older, John. <laughs> and then they did get a little older, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy and really right. freaking hard as a parent here. <laughs> so I kind of went a little bit more towards the middle with a little more leadership, right? Um and so I think that that's something that we parents can really be conscious of, giving our children the freedom to develop into their own unique beings, because a lot of times we want them to be like us, or we have this ideal, and then, insecurely, a lot of parents want, want, want to keep up with the Joneses or have their parents not judge them or something, the grandparents of the children. So if we can give them that autonomy and that freedom to express themselves and develop into their own sovereign beings... But restrain that and temper that with the wisdom that we have as older folks, keep them safe, lead them and guide them. I think that could be really valuable for folks really just take a look in the mirror. And, you know, oftentimes when parents are scolding their kids, it's because they want the kids to fit into this box because they fit into the box. But maybe the box needs to be smashed, you know, not every box, but there's a lot of boxes that aren't serving us.
0: I think that's really astute, John, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you that I think it's not about the parent wanting the kid to fit into the box the parent fits into. As a grandparent, you get a little bit more longevity looking down the line from your kids to your grandkids, and you, if you do it right, you chill out. I'm the most chill grandfather <laughs> in the world now, and it's it's almost like your parenting IQ by three three hundred points after you become a grandfather. Cause you, you stop giving a shit about what you're talking about. What you, what you, when you're a parent, what you're thinking is if I don't teach him or her to do things this way, Oh my God, what's going to happen to them out in the world? It's not so much I need them to behave this way for my benefit or because what will the neighbors think? It's because I'm thinking, Oh my God, if I send my son out, you know, to, to get a job when he's 18 and he can't, you know, fit in. He's not going to be able to get a job. He's not going to be able to hold a job. He's not going to be able to have a family. He's not going to be able to stay in a relationship. And when you start realizing, like, most of that's all bullshit, and then then you're able to do what you said, which is leadership. And then we start teaching instead of training because training and teaching are very, very different. (laughs) To train an organism is to condition it so that it cannot respond differently. I can train a slime mold to grow up a tree, right, but I can't teach a slime mold but I can also train a child to the point where they will respond specifically a certain way under a certain circumstance, no matter what, that's not teaching that's training. There's a place for that too, though. And that is, Hey, my grandson's trained. You get out of a car in a parking lot, head up, eyes out. Now that's actually a yeah. practical skill though. I'm not worried about, Oh, the neighbor will look or will he fit in? I don't want to get him run over by a car. And if you can delineate between those two worlds, what am I actually concerned about with this particular thing then you can stop socially conditioning your child, and you, you then you you teach or train based on the need versus the perceived need to fit in. If that makes sense,
1: Xavier, what do you think of Yo. social
0: conditioning in
1: kids?
3: That's both both the things you guys just said are so key. Um, it made me think, John, when you were discussing, you know, your unschooling kind of approach at first. Um, I'm, I almost started on the opposite end. I'm like, uh, the Von Trapp family from the sound of music. Like it's regimented in my house. When they wake up, you make your bed. When you make your bed, you make your lunch. When you make your lunch, you make your breakfast. Like it's very much like discipline. You know, we work out together in the mornings and like, it's very much a conscious effort, uh, like controlling our own patterns and habits. Right. And then we have discussions about, um, Like we would go out and we would have to be people would ask us to wear a mask at like Guitar Center or something. And, you know, I would sit and I would discuss with the manager there at the door. What does this make you feel like? What does this make you concerned about? You know, and and like they would have a discussion and they would feel disarmed because the kids are there and we'd have like an honest discussion. And then afterwards, I'd speak with the kids. Did you see how he how did he feel? You know, how did he feel when we were there at first? Then how did he feel after the conversation? How does it make you feel? You know, like a lot of self-reflection and conversations about things that people don't tend to have out in, out, in, out in society for the most part. So it's like a combination of self-discipline so we can control what we're thinking and how we're behaving and know and feel empowered that we can make strong decisions for ourselves and then be able to engage with people to actually decide for ourselves in real time what are we feeling, how do we want to respond to this, instead of just blindly, you know, oh, this is what everybody's doing, so we're going to do it too kind of thing that's been like the biggest key in my education for my kids, you know, how to be free, how to truly exercise and feel freedom and, and, and utilize. So.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of millennials these days and younger people, and maybe the trend will continue, but they're there. at least my experience with younger, younger people, I think technically I am a millennial, but I'm going to self identify as a generation X. Cause that's what so millennials do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> don't miss don't miss generation me miss gen me um i think a lot of younger folk these days are having trouble relating to their fellow human beings and especially when there's a difference of opinion like, I don't know why I still torture myself, but I have friends that are more liberal and left leaning and I'll go and like rationally throw something out there that's a counter argument to their BS. And I'm not nasty. I'm not name calling, right. but you know, five times out of 10 or maybe six or seven times out of 10, the responses are just vitriol and there's no ability to communicate. And so, I don't know if it's social. It's probably social media, really, because when you're talking to other human beings and there's a difference, you know, there's that tension and there's the potential to get knocked out or for things to get physical if it gets really nasty. But these humans are just growing up their entire life able to talk shit without any consequence whatsoever. (laughs) And I think it's damaging, really. Um, There's no civil discourse at all. It's nuts. And but, but to what Xavier was saying. We gotta teach our children the civil discourse and the honoring other people's opinion, right? You don't have to jive with them, you don't have to party with them, but at least to respect that everyone's different and everyone has their own right to self determination. And it starts leading by they're example, they're but, but, yeah, and they're dead wrong.
1: So, Somebody who's on this show put it <laughs> in a really succinct way on his show, and that was Jack Spearco, when he said Jack has a he, show. Yeah, he has a show. It's called the Survival Podcast. And he was (laughs) talking about critical thinking, thinking, and he was saying you need to understand the difference between fact and opinion. And a lot of people think their their opinions are facts. And then we dig in and we butt heads when it's just opinion and you can't let it it doesn't go anywhere from there.
0: It's It's worse than that. We have this and it is more the young generation, but I see plenty of people my age and older that are just as guilty of this shit, though. That they don't feel that you had a conversation with them and heard them unless you agree with them. It's not just that it's right. fact, even when they think it's an opinion, like if they give you their opinion, even if they know it's an opinion, when you disagree with them, they act as though you didn't listen to them. Right. Yeah. Like you didn't, like the only way you've listened to me is if you agree with me and that's a very dangerous place to be in society. <laughs> but you know, you guys, you mentioned anger, uh, John and Xavier both mentioned anger in response to that and the first thing that came to me and I've never thought of it this way before was five stages of grief. Because John was talking about when you throw out a fact, not an opinion. Well, a person makes a claim and you say, "Well, actually on this day this person did this thing this way. Here's evidence that it occurred." That's when they get pissed, <laughs> right? If you say, "I think you're yeah. wrong." They're like, "Whatever, you're an idiot." But when you when you do that, they get pissed. Well, the reason they get pissed off is you have now destroyed their narrative with fact. Yeah. And so denial and anger, usually in that five stage of grief cycle, they say denial, then anger. That those two things generally come together. It, it's yeah. the, I don't I almost right. think it's four stages, and it's like the denial anger stage first, right? Because you see people go from, you know, you have cancer, no, I don't, son of a bitch, like that fast, right? <laughs> and I think that it's the same thing. You've disrupted a core belief you've caused cognitive dissonance. So they go into a denial anger pattern initially. And I think that's, that's a sign that you've, you've put a kink in that social engineering. I, I don't know that it actually means you're helping them get out of it. Cause I think they will retreat. And I'm not like, if the solution tonight is how to get yourself out of this, I think we can help you. If your solution is how do I get my brother? Who's a lifelong fill in the blank out of this. I don't know that we can help.
1: Yeah, you can help, but you can't help in one Big moment. X, what do you got?
3: Yeah, so I'm out here in the mountains of North Carolina, and it's the most amazing environment. I'm watching, like, blue misty mountains in the morning, orange and, you know, dust colors in the evening with this clouds over the the city and the mountains all around it.
1: I don't know why you ever go back to Florida. I just realized how... Florida's
3: awesome. I I feel you, yes. (laughs) I, 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 I... Question. Oh,
0: oh! Truth bombs again but, in the well, end. Really for
3: in for a lot of reasons, but either way, <laughs> that's awesome. So, so I, it made me realize how important nature is to me. Who's <laughs> got their hands up on the screen? it is a baseline reality that we all agree on. You all are cracking up. What's going on? You're cracking up. So, nature is a baseline reality. <laughs> and, like, if we are, like, I treat the woods and my
0: nature. Stop making me laugh, dude. <laughs> you you speak, you're frozen. Locked
1: up. <laughs> you're frozen. There yeah. he is.
2: Yeah. Right. See, there here he was is.
1: frozen with his oh hands up. Like- <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. Me and Jack were mocking <laughs> this, this little look there. It froze for the podcast audience. Yeah, yeah. Xavier, we got something about an admiration for nature as like the default state, something
3: like that. Nature. It's the baseline reality, right? Everything else on top of that is all fantasy. You go to Disneyland and somebody builds that Disneyland and you are giving your life force towards their dream. The United States as an idea, Disneyland as a location, you're giving them your money, your calories, your hour, your passion. You are living in somebody else's dream and we are creatures of story. And so if we are allowing ourselves to be detached from nature, we end up living just in other people's stories. And that's the that's where they trap you and where they get you. It's like the matrix, mm. right? But if you I have connection it. with nature or baseline reality, like your family, like, like it's as important to you as your family, right? There's something there that prevents you from becoming conditioned to the, the fantasies of the, the greater social mechanism.
2: I like that. And when it comes to human beings and freedom and agorism and stuff, our nature is as free, sovereign beings, right? We have free will. We have the ability to make choices about how we interact with the world and with nature. And I think one of the biggest social conditioning, social engineering that's inflicted upon and pressed upon uh, human, the human race all over the globe right now, except for maybe some tribes that are still living off the land, you know, which is very more and more, more rare these days, is uh, this false belief in the authority of the state. And I think Larkin Rose really hits on it well. His emphasis is authority, right? And he really just hammers home how the state doesn't have authority, but people falsely believe that they have authority over their lives. And so that could be one of the foundational. Social conditions that makes it easier for all these other layers and levels of manipulation. The fact that people falsely give authority um, to the state and that takes them out of their natural state as free, sovereign, beautiful human beings, and it's unfortunate. Exactly.
1: And, and when we're in pain, we want authority to fix it. Yeah, and that's we that, feel insecure that is and how afraid. social engineering works, right? Yeah. You create this pain and then you have the solution and, and it doesn't matter if you have real authority or not. Fear. If if I perceive you as having the authority, that's all that's all that's needed.
0: Yep. Pain yeah. and fear both. Yep. So if you're yeah. in a if yeah, you're, in a, you're in a you're in a movie theater and a fire breaks out and no one and like it's where you think the exit is and no one's sure where an exit is the power goes out to you, you can't see the emergency exit, and one person steps up and says, Go this way. Freaking everybody will follow, especially if they have a a lighter, even you know, with them so you can you can see that light. People will follow that person who stands up in the middle of that fear based situation or a painful situation and says, "Follow me." That's a principle of leadership. But don't think the government that you know John was talking before we got on the air about like MK Ultra. Don't think the government that that used a program like MK Ultra doesn't know that and won't use it against you. So a lot of these things are not necessarily negative in, in, in of themselves. If you know where the exit is in the middle of a burning theater and I don't, I want you to tell me, but if you can create a false theater, a false fire and a false solution, you can use the same dynamic to completely control and you don't have to control everybody. You just have to control the majority of the mob in the way that it moves. Yeah.
1: Which brings us to today yeah. in the COVID unrest drama. Let's talk about that a little bit. What's what's going on out there?
2: Everyone is so terrified. <laughs> We're like in two separate yep. worlds. Um, I'm going to my kid's birthday party at the bowling alley slash arcade slash laser tag that we discovered that doesn't require masks. We're going swimming. We're going to the water park. I, I hugged my grandma and oh. she loved it. And so it's, like, me and my buddies and you guys, and we're, like, not wearing masks anymore, and people aren't putting up with oh, it. And then there's this whole mask, other. Man. No, nice. I got and my the mask. Card. Okay, go ahead. Mask is the keyword to take a shot. And then there's this whole other world of folks that I would venture to guess watch mainstream media a whole lot which is a great tool for social engineering. And they've just been pounded and inculcated with red graphs that are always going up because it's always the cases, not the hospitalizations and the deaths. They've been pounded with Anthony Fauci with experts saying, maybe we'll get back to normal 2021. Maybe we'll always have to wear masks. Maybe we shouldn't shake hands anymore. And I think that people, you know, I, I try to have compassion because, I try to put myself in their shoes and think like, okay, what if I genuinely believed in government? What if I believed what the mainstream media says? Well, <laughs> there's a lot of smart people that are buying a yeah. hook, line and sinker, you know? And, and I, I would, I imagine true. I would be scared too. If, if the government and the media is, if I bought it, right, it would be pretty scary to be out there and I'd be afraid of my fellow human beings, but it's, it's a wonderful tool. Fear like Jack was saying, it's a fear and pain. They're wonderful tools in order to control people. And what is being carried out is clearly an agenda, a pre-contrived, pre-conceived, plandemic, scamdemic. And it's the American public, most a majority of the American public has bought it hook, line, and sinker. So that's what my take on what's going on out there. It just boggles my mind. And I see like two alternate realities, the people that are like a little bit awake and not afraid and want to be free and they value freedom, right. the people that value safety and security and are totally buying everything that the experts in the media put out. And there's a lot of clashes happening, going back to how people can't seem to uh, coexist if they disagree. And it's a nasty scenario.
1: Well, it is interesting also to look at what's happened to our our media in the last 20 years, where reporters used to at least pretend to be balanced. And it wasn't just reach out to the opposing opinion for the turd quote, which is kind of what happens now to look balanced and whatever that turd quote is makes that person look bad because the the narrative you're trying to further is something else. And you know, I heard Jack right. say on the show the other day that he likes to verify things from two independent sources. That's not really important. CNN media, and MSNBC, right? And it, it as you see yeah. the crumbling of, <laughs> of moral media, as I'm going to call it, or moral reporting. And and I know reporters who are great at reporting. It's hard for them to get work. And then this uprising of rumor mongers that I think that's really set the foundation for for what we're seeing today, because, you know, you're either CNN or Fox. Which one are you?
0: Well, that that
1: shouldn't be a thing.
0: I'm sure everybody's seen the 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 clip reels where they take and they show, you know, 200 local news agencies read the exact same sentence on the same day. Within minutes. Of the, mockingbird. Uh, but it's your, it's your local Tallahassee or your local Atlanta station. And no, it's not. Then how the hell is a person in Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, LA, Fort Worth, uh, you know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, uh, Richmond, all saying the exact same words. Yeah. That's so it's, it's, it's yeah. beyond just the media controlling you. It's the media controlling the media. It's, you know, like it's, it's the so upper hand, solution. the upper echelon, super media controlling the media outlets. Cause I've known people that are journalists and I'm like, why do you got, why are you guys scumbags? And they're like, we're not scumbags. I'm like, yeah, you are. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we are. But let me explain. Yeah. They tell us what we have to say and they yeah. tell us what we have to do and they tell us what we have to write. So we don't want to be scumbags. It's like people don't go to journalism school and then be like, you know, I, I can't wait to grow up and write things about how the president's a scumbag, whether they're true or not. They go to journalism school because they want to learn how to report. They want to learn how to make a difference. They want to be an influencer, whatever. But it's a lot like becoming a cop. People don't go to the police academy because they want to go beat people up or whatever. They Most of them, anyway. I think they, they really believe. They want to help people. They want to make a difference. and And then they run into that real world. And I think most of us, no matter what jobs we've had in our lives, You've had a job where you've gotten hired, right? And imagine any job where you got hired, and then you showed up for work the first day, and you thought, oh, this is a great job. And as soon as you talk to two or three people doing it, you're like, what the fuck did I do? Right? (laughs) Now, imagine... Imagine that instead of that being like a job out of high school or something like that, or a job while you were in high school, imagine that was a job that you went through a year of the police academy for, or you went through four years of college for, and you're that vested. it. you know what? You say then, well, it sucks, but I'm, this is it. I'm here now. And I guess that in itself is a form of social engineering. The sunken cost balance. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Sunken cost. Absolutely.
3: Totally. Totally. And I like when you cost. go to the store and they make you wear a mask.
0: Yeah, I've talked to cops.
3: But they don't want you to do Yeah.
0: Anyway, I've talked to cops that are like, you know, they're pro-gun. They have guns. Freaking NRA members. And I'm like, well, if they put out an order that says you're supposed to go confiscate the guns, are you going to do it? They're like, well, they'll never do it. But if you keep pushing them, you keep pushing them, and you keep pushing them. I've had them finally stab and go, well, if, if they did it and it was legal, they passed it, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And you're like, why? Too. And the guy's like, well, I'm four years from my pension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay.
3: And then yep. they get really... Economically gotten... Yeah. Yep. That's... Same with the masks. You go to the store and they're like, well, we don't want to enforce it, but, you know, we'll lose our jobs if we don't. And it's the same thing with doctors speaking out against things. They don't want to do it because they'll lose their career. Or they don't have financial security without that position, you know? So how do we address that?
2: I think entrepreneurship... Economic should. freedom, Right. Yeah, entrepreneurship yeah. gives you a lot of choices when you're kind of the, the commander. You're the captain of the ship. You can steer the ship wherever the hell you want it to go, and there's a lot of autonomy and a lot of choice. That's one way that people are controlled, and we see that relating back to COVID. Uh, the New, Eng- New England Journal of Medicine just said this. Some law journals have echoed it in the past, and they keep saying, we don't think it should be a mandatory vaccine in that we'll fine you or put you in jail if you don't do it. Rather, we think that people should be charged. Actually, they they do say fines and they say that people should be uh, make it difficult for them to work, make it difficult for them to travel. The New England Journal of Medicine recently even said we don't want it to be a, a jail thing because then we could face some challenges in the courts. They're already assuming sure. that they have no authority to do it. But whenever you don't have the freedom and the choices to do your own thing, then it makes it easier for you to be controlled. And so right. I think that's why entrepreneurship is, yeah. is pretty big and why counter-economics is really valuable back to agorisms because it gives you the freedom to
0: chart your own course. Well, John, so let's, let, let's let me ask John something to, real quick on that point. I want to get a response from him on this. I think this will be interesting. So just assume that you and Xavier were the same age and about the same health, and uh, but you smoked. Would you want anybody to interfere with me as an insurance provider saying, well, you're a smoker, John. You're a higher health risk. I'm going to charge you more for the same health insurance that I charge Xavier a little less for. I don't think you would object to that, would you? No, that's rational. That makes sense. Okay. So then if if, if I am going to believe the scientific experts, you pose a greater risk because you haven't been vaccinated against COVID. What's the difference? And when we go to the court challenges you're talking about, now I have the insurance industry billions of dollars behind me and, and fighting the court system, and I have a totally rational, logical argument to make, presupposing that the argument's true, but of course everybody assumes it's true, and I think that'll be the primary way they leverage people into this, that along with school systems, health care workers, government employees, all conditions of employment, and with the natural herd You're you're probably going to have 70, 80% of compliance right there.
2: Yeah. I'm hoping, and that is definitely a good mechanism that they're going to use for compliance, but there's still going to be those businesses and those insurance companies that want to cater to the 20, 30, 40%. I don't know. There's been surveys out there that say upwards of 50% of the people are going to refuse the vaccine. And then there's a lot of people that are going to refuse the first iteration of it, which I think is a a really good strategy. If you are into vaccines, don't take the very first one. Oh my god! No no liability.
0: iPhone. You you don't do
2: that. Yeah. No. No. For sure. so Or taking the first batch of like some new drug or something that somebody walks up to you at the rave bar and they're like, I
1: just cooked this up in my garage. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's a little more sophisticated. It actually than fits I, really well with a YouTube question from the YouTube live stream. And it's, why aren't people peacefully resisting en masse? And because they can't arrest or fine everybody. That's
3: Joe Tundra Walker.
1: For, thank you. That's, yeah, yeah, that's like that's the best Joe name Tundra ever, Walker. by the way. I we hope so. yeah, totally.
0: people are. John is. I am. I know that. I mean, I went to Walmart the other day and I didn't wear my mask, and people looked at me all dirty. But I also <laughs> noticed at least a dozen people look at me and go, "Well, nobody's doing nothing," and you just see the yeah. come off, right? Like you know, a trend. And, and and then you know, I I, I was right. like, "Oh, there's my ace," because there was an employee not wearing a mask. Yeah. So I'm like, well, yeah. you're, st- anyway, yeah. so to me from here now, you're screwed because you got an employee pushing a cart around, cleaning up shelves without a mask on. And if they say, well, they have a health condition, so do I. And I think that's, you know,
3: Yeah.
0: That that's always an out. I have a health condition that prohibits me from wearing a mask. What is yeah. it? I'm sorry under ADA. I'm not, I'm not required to tell you what it is.
2: Yeah. They often don't even ask because they're they're yeah. a little uncomfortable and stuff. I, there's another bowling alley we go to when my daughter's at dance in Drop and um, I don't wear the mask. Nobody's wearing it. In fact, there's a lot of older folk that are drinking beer, doing their bowling league, and taking cigarette smoking breaks, and they're all just mixing it up, no mask, just living life and loving life. I go into the arcade, and the guy that works in the arcade, he I spend a lot of time in bowling alleys and arcades with the kiddos. I, I love it. But he's like, sir, you got to wear a mask. And I said, well, I have an exemption. I like to first say I have an exemption. Yeah. And like the exemption is my freedom of choice or whatever. Then <laughs> if they press it, of course. But he was like, okay, well, I need to get you. I need to talk to my manager. They had this little form that you sign out. And I was like, what is this going to be onerous and have all this stuff on it? It had nothing on it. You just put your name. I just put my name in the last initial. And then you sign it and it says that I have one of the exemptions under the state order. I thought that was pretty good to cover their bases, but also not to try to press it. Because at the end of the day, another social condition is the government comes in and threatens everybody and they threaten the businesses. Yeah. That's what they did in Austin. It wasn't the governor Abbott yeah. wasn't going to do a mask mandate back when he had cojones and the city government was like, well, we got a way around it. Instead of finding the people for not wearing a mask, we'll find the business a thousand dollars for not requiring it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Abbott even signed off on that, but that's a great tool for control. And I just want to read this uh, Mark Twain quote real quick because the guy's asking about people opting out in mass. And the quote is, in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the tenant join him for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. So I think the, it doesn't take a whole lot of people, right? It was said that two to 3% of the population fought the American revolution and won. It doesn't take a whole lot of people to bring about a change. And so what I would encourage more people to do is opt out. It's usually a low risk thing. You're not like not filing your IRS income tax or avoiding a court order to go in front of a judge. It's just not wearing a freaking mask and dealing with some kid at the front of the Walmart, you know. So more of us need to do that. And then it'll start catching on and it'll have this uh, exponential effect, right? And we oh hope God. to do this with, with Freedom Cells, too, strength in numbers, right? We have, like, 4,500 people now. When we started Unloose the Goose, it was probably, like, 2,000 or 1,500. So we want to gather enough people where we can all kind of be like, hey, guys, are we ready to opt out completely together, all 50,000 of us, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it also depends on a lot on where you live to how much yep, risk there is. Reasonable. Like, here yeah. in Texas, there is no real risk. and yeah. We're, I, I haven't seen even any yep. screaming, shrieking COVID Karens in Texas. I even feel like John and I live in different Texases, Like up up here in the Fort Worth area, yeah. no one cares. Yet, you know who cares is the restaurants. They seem to be the ones that are most in fear that the government will come shut them down. Yeah. And it's easier to shut down a restaurant than a Walmart.
1: So yeah. the restaurants
0: have the st- yeah. stupidest rule. I mean, there's no way this makes any sense. You have to wear your mask until you sit down at your table and you take your mask off. I have a few restaurants, and I'm so happy they've survived this, and, and I go there to support them during this time. I spend more money than I should. I overtip the waiters because I don't want them to go away. And you know what I do when I go to those places? I put my stupid mask on. I wear my gator that the CDC said is worse than nothing. That's my compromise to wear something worse than nothing. And I go sit down and I take my mask off. And I do that because I understand the manager of Gloria's or the manager of Riata or whatever is just trying to keep their freaking restaurant open. Yeah. And because I appreciate yeah. that yeah. business, and since they're not being dicks about it,
3: yeah.
0: I'll comply with no. that. But I don't no. do it because I'm complying with Abbott. I do it because I'm I'm trying to help, you know, Juan down at nice Gloria's picture. make sure he doesn't have to lay off another freaking staff member this month.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So the way I've dealt with it is I've gone and engaged with all of the the managers. Like anytime I go to a place, I have a discussion with the cashier, anybody, even at a gas station. What do you think? What do you feel? Like I actually engage and I care and I'm curious, right? And if if, if we can have a discussion and I can say and I can drop facts like, oh, man, if I can drop facts, you know, that make little chinks in their armor. I remember at Taco Bell, I went and got a Taco Bell and I told the guy, you know, this is less deadly than the flu. It's been characterized by that by the CDC. You gotta stop. Um, it's uh so having that discussion every day. It kind of builds like resiliency in my perspective for them. I, I can't even take to the next topic. Go ahead.
2: Uh, <laughs> that's a good policy too. Have conversations. Everyone's so awkward and afraid, but the more that people talk about this stuff, the more easy it is for people to see how unreasonable it is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You know, I just flew across the country, and that meant 12 hours in a mask, by the way. Oh, man. I want to fly. But I saw a brilliant workaround in Las Vegas airport. A lady had a rhinestone mask.
3: Nice.
1: Do you know how rhinestone is made? It's metal linking, like, big old breathing holes. It does
0: absolutely no good. Yeah. Um, yeah, And like I looked at her mask. and I thought,
1: that looks uncomfortable, but I bet it's more comfortable than the paper mask I'm wearing. The right gators now. are
0: the most comfortable masks. I mean, I the reason I went with those for the places I have to to kind of go along and get along is that I use those, like when I'm out in a boat fishing in the middle of August and I don't want my face to incinerate from sunburn, you know, I use them for that anyway. Yeah. Um, but airlines, man, okay, fly first class and keep drinking until you land. That's all I got to say about airplanes. That's, that's good. That's pop, the yeah. way you handle that one.
1: You know, they're you not like letting drink? you drink. Yes, I would. Now. What do you
0: want? Whatever you got.
1: That's like no alcohol yep. on the planes and you can't bring your own and drink it. What? Yeah. Drink. What airline did you fly?
0: Southwest. America kept me full the whole flight. Man, I was the like, way. what do you? What do you mean I can't bring my own? Oh, you didn't fly first class. See, that's that's how they get you. You yeah. You got to the first class. I did get
1: across the country that's back. What it was for under everybody's like, "What? Well, there's no
0: drinks and they're up front where like a pop, you hear the wine bottle open and everybody's looking around. Y'all yeah, get back there. You stay back in your coach."
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put your Wild, mask on. Wild Blue Whippets 3. Wild Blue Whippets 3 from YouTube says, "What would we say to our HR people at work to not wear the mask?" I'm assuming they mean like their their bosses. How would they get that? Wait a get- minute.
0: We uh, tell I got everybody, this. I got we gotta this. tell everybody it's not from the eighties what a whip it is before we answer the question. <laughs> oh. Does anybody <laughs> but me know what a whip it is? One out, Jack. Demonstrate yep. for us. I do. No, I can't. I don't have it. A whippet, Dennis Leary talked about this back in the eighties in his comedy routine. He said the guy that came up with it needs a Nobel Prize. If you take a can of uh, like the whipped cream, you know, that sprays and you hold it up so it doesn't spray any out, and you sh- you shoot it in your mouth and inhale it. It makes you high for like three seconds. That's a whip it. Anyway, go ahead.
1: So when you brain, don't have social, social media, it. you have a lot of time to think about how to get high in legal ways. Just saying. Child there you in go. In.
0: <laughs> don't but
2: no, don't nobody get any ideas out there.
1: Okay. You so know, the first the problem with the Facebook. question. To figure stuff out. So the question <laughs> from Wild Blue Whippets. Is about HR <clears throat> getting us back on track. Ooh, knocking my water over. Um, you have a job. The hardest thing about having a job is you give up control when you work for somebody. And so I have Wait, nothing God. for you. To say to your HR person, the reason they're requiring a mask is for liability reasons because they're afraid they're going to get sued. And then that goes back to your yeah. liability insurance and whatever your legal term it, team is. I don't know where you work. You can find out if, if you have asthma or allergies or respiratory problems, if you cannot have a mask. But at the end of the day, part of, part of why walking to freedom and walking away from a JOB is so empowering is my HR manager will never tell me if I have to wear a mask or not because I'm my HR manager, right? Um, Unfortunately, I understand the reality of life is sometimes we need to work a job to earn money to pay for things until we can build the life the way we want to. Um, But at some point when you need to do the thing, if masks are required for you to still get your income, you have to make that choice And for me, if my income was dependent on if I wear a mask at work or not and there's no way to get an exemption for a health condition, um, you got to feed your family, right?
2: Yeah, it's tricky, especially if you've already been wearing the mask and they see you wearing the mask. If this was on the onset, then you could say that you have a medical exemption. And then the importance of having a strong network, if you have a friendly doctor or a naturopath or a chiropractor that actually could write you a note, you know, one of the big catch-alls is that you could say, maybe this is true. I certainly don't feel comfortable in the mask for oxygen reasons and for just feeling slavish. When I have a mask on, I feel slavish. But uh, you could say it causes a, uh, anxiety, um, frustration, whatever. I don't know. But probably working somewhere, if it was an HR department, you would more than likely need to have some sort of note even if the note didn't reveal exactly what the condition is because there's privacy stuff but if you're already been wearing the mask and all of a sudden you come and say that you have a medical exemption it could be kind of tricky but it just depends on how far you want to push it and how important the job is to you it's a, this is one of those things again it's a low risk to, you could try to press it and just see what's up and if they're like no i'm sorry that doesn't hold water you're an asshole. Get the hell out of here with this little paper napkin note you just wrote up. But uh, you can always just press it and see what it's like. And they're like, no, that doesn't fly. Then you just go back to wearing your mask.
0: I should open up a website called Dr. Jack's Notes. So <laughs> you can just order one for forty I'll write you a letter. All these teenagers <laughs> be frequenting for school.
1: I think X wants to say something. He's got the NSA shutting him down uh, again.
3: Oh, man. So I think there should be a class action lawsuit against the media for wrongful stress and, um, you know, financial ruin, basically. Like, we could get a bunch of people. They have no – did you guys shut me off?
1: I did, so we can hear your audio. Just keep going. I'll turn you back on.
3: Oh, great. No, thank you. Okay, so, yeah, I think it's we not should do better. a class action lawsuit against the, the media.
2: Yeah. They've caused a lot of damage. People could definitely show, uh, well, I guess the government would be the one that would be liable ultimately for the lockdowns, but people could definitely show harm in losing a, toll, a whole lot of revenue and income, for sure, all sorts of businesses.
0: If you can prove directly that the media has reported false information as fact and show a clear connection to declining your revenue because of that, you could make a legal case there. The problem is that would actually be very, 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 very difficult to do because you would have to show this outlet did this thing this way. And here's exactly how it relates to my business going under. Um, There's, so much possible <laughs> deniability that's the totality of everything. It's not just the media, and you can't sue the media, right? You have to sue CNN. You have to sue the Washington Examiner. But if you're looking for an attorney to do that, I I think you should look up whoever's representing uh, representing that Nick Sandman kid. that dude's kicking ass, man. He's that <laughs> that is costing those outlets hardcore money. Okay, oh, was so- he the
2: guy that uh, had the MAGA hat in Washington? And
0: the kid, yeah, the kid yeah. that they just eviscerated. All he did was stand there and mind his own business, and they yeah. fact, CNN already gave a buttload of money. Yeah. Know how much? Because it was undisclosed. But three major outlets this week filed motions to dismiss, and the the judge was like, "No, that doesn't work that way." Yeah, we're going forward with this, so. Uh, he's probably breaking in 10-25 million dollars a pop on each one of those but see you can clearly see the correlation there right they put his picture up yeah. so if you have a restaurant and CNN ran a feature and showed your restaurant as an example of a restaurant where you were at risk and you weren't then you'd have a case broadly i i don't i don't see that ever happening ever
1: so oh, let's have a transition to solutions, guys. So how do we break social conditioning starting with ourselves and our families? Because I don't know about you, but I'm pre- I, I, I fall into the trap too. Yeah. We
0: all do. I think there's
1: um
2: the Buddha talked yeah. about beginner's mind. Is everybody frozen but me?
1: Yeah. Huh?
2: If you guys can hear me. Yes. All right, I'm, I'm back. Y'all are back. Okay. Okay. Uh, the yes. Buddha. Internet connection is unstable. We're going with it. The Buddha, Siddhartha, right, has this concept of having beginner's mind when you mm-hmm. deal with things, and that is essentially um, not being so firm in your beliefs and always being at least willing to question them. Right. My ex-wife had a tattoo on her arm that said, "Question everything." <laughs> uh, except for her, I guess. Sorry, I said to throw that out there. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Hopefully she doesn't watch this. But um, I think that's really important. Always keep an open mind. And, you know, I hold some really firm beliefs like non-aggression principle and an admiration for free markets, right? Um, and it would be really difficult for those to be challenged. But occasionally somebody comes up with a great counterargument to total freedom. And it's good to at least... Uh, even if it's a thought experiment, explore what it would be like if you were wrong or if some of your foundational core beliefs were, were wrong. And so going through life with that and how you interact with yourself and how your little inner monologue soundtrack plays out and how you interact with your children and how you interact with your fellow human beings, I think really benefits a lot. And, you know, humbling yourself because there's so much to know, right? And we can't possibly know all of it. And things are constantly changing and evolving and to just kind of go about it with an open mind and an open heart. I think is really valuable that that's some armor against the social conditioning and against getting trapped in your own social conditioning.
1: I think something that's great to do is to question yourself. So question everything, question yourself. I mean, you made the joke, but when I find myself following a narrative even if it's a freedom narrative or an anarchy friendly narrative, I need to start asking, but why is, is this, am I just buying into this because all my friends are anarchists? So, I mean, they aren't, but you know what I mean? I, or, or is, is this really what I think? Because it's very easy when you are constantly surrounded by messages of freedom, which is good to, Behave in a way that's freedom oriented, but at the same time, you don't just want to drink the Kool-Aid. And so I I actually actively go out and listen to the people who are opposite of freedom. So I can hear what they're thinking, because I want to know where they're coming from to try to challenge myself in in where I've gotten to.
2: Yeah, that's a good tactic for sure. Yeah. You like know your enemy and it helps you to know yourself (laughs) better, too.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I. I like both of those but let's start with John's um you're talking about trying to figure out why you why you're thinking the way you're thinking and and does that make sense the beginner's mind i think is what you what you were talking about but in a in a lot of ways i think what we need to be asking instead of of the why we think a certain way is we think the way we think if we, if we get down to the pure core principles that we have, we have these, these pure principles. I'm not an anarchist because I think the world will be a better place if everybody else is an anarchist. I'm an anarchist because I do not believe a fundamental principle I have is I do not believe that I have a right to tell Nicole how to live her life. Period. So my actual question is how right. do I deal with it? It's not why I believe it. I know why I believe it, because it's a fundamental principle to my core being. How do I deal with the fact that most people are not going to agree with that? That's the actual way that I can break the programming, because now I'm taking the onus on myself. The other side of that is what makes you angry or what makes you react in any way? And once you identify this thing that's causing a reaction, then you have to ask yourself a couple of things. Is that reaction productive? Does it actually do anything? And is that reaction what the source wanted me to react with? If you're reacting the way mm-hmm. somebody wants you to react, you're not in control of the situation, right? If you Perfect. have a, a frog sitting on a little hex and you heat that hex up and it jumps off that hex... Who's in control of the frog? You are. The frog reacts. You're the one causing the sensation that causes the reaction. And so many people literally run into that fire every day to burn themselves because they get addicted to the reaction. They watch the news outlet that tells them the thing that outrages them the most because they've been so conditioned since the time they were itty bitty to, to behave this way. We actually thrive on outrage, and as long as we are in a yeah. situation where we're seeking outrage, we'll always find it, and we'll always be under control. So once we identify that mechanism of control, <clears throat> we need to walk away from it, and it, it's not as easy as it sounds. A lot of social media stuff, you know, I had my big breakup about a week, uh, month and a half ago with, with Facebook. I had a mental shutdown in the middle of of a live feed. A lot of people thought it was theatrical that I was really coming back or whatever and what have you. And what happened is I was explaining to people what was going on. I realized like, they're doing this shit to me too. I'm not in control of this. And I'm like, screw that. I'm done. That's right. Bye. And, but it's hard because like all your friends are there and whatever. Right. So you have to, whatever that source is. And then as parents, that's why I'm so big on getting kids out of the schools. I, I, yeah. I want my grandkids to learn. I don't want them trained.
3: If oh, I may say something know. to that, yes, you may. My the the oh. core fundamental. Yeah, right. Everybody <laughs> is afraid at some core level. Like we come into this world and we are afraid. And if we are not willing to look at that darkness and stalk our fears instead of being the prey of our unresponsive reactions and fears. But just determine like if I I was a terrified youth, I was scared of so much because I was smart and I knew that there was more going on than what I saw and that things were out of my control. So I was afraid because there were bigger things. I was chicken little. Right. And but through the course of that, I was like, okay, I'm afraid of this. So I'm going to go train to be able to respond to that. I'm afraid of this, so I'm going to learn about what that is, so that I can become more capable and understand it and be less afraid. All my whole life has been an effort towards learning to counteract this this fear of death that we all have, which we're led around by if we're not very diligent and uh, diligent, you know, um, about our own thinking and self-examining, and say, okay, so looking into the things that I'm afraid of and learning, and then it makes you stronger, right? So if we've got social media, like Jack said where they, they watch how long you look at each picture and they feed you more of those pictures to get your eyes on their thing longer. It's like literally rats in a maze with a little button that they can press for dopamine, you know? And when you realize what makes you feel good then you learn how to be uncomfortable, when you learn how to be comfortable in discomfort, that's where you can break free. Yeah. The, the well,
0: that's Yoda a, that's quote, t-shirt right? T-shirt
1: worthy right there.
0: The, yeah. the Yoda quote, right? Fear leads to anger. Yeah. Anger leads to hate. Hatred leads to the dark side. Yep. I saw that today on the news in a way that flabbergasted yep. even me. They had this lady and they were talking to her and they said, if, uh, if you could make a deal and COVID would go on longer and, and hurt more people, but it would also guarantee you that you would get rid of Donald Trump, would you do it? She said, yes. Okay. I, yeah. what? hold That's on. Not we're funny. not, we have only begun to unwrap this booger, man. This was, then they said, well, um, What if it meant that, like, another million people would die? Absolutely. Didn't blink. No, hold on. What if one of those million people was, like, your brother or your sister or your father? Yeah, I would still do it. Oh, my God. That's blind hatred. That's blind hatred. And that's not, you know, pro or anti-Trump. That's blind hatred of something that you've been conditioned to. And that should be a wake-up call everybody because you can easily see that but that's like the extreme the fallacy of extremes right like the reason you show that is so people can realize that it does happen so it's happening to you every day smaller versions of it over and over and over again and so we have to be hyper vigilant to recognize when we feel that way even if we wouldn't actually do it So we all have thoughts like that in our head for microseconds, nanoseconds, and then we we bury them like, oh no, I didn't really mean that. I think sometimes instead of like just writing them off, because that thought happened, and your brain can't tell that you didn't. You don't really if you don't process it, you don't bring it out and deal with it. It's it's like it's still there. You've you've written a command into your computer. And now you can't get rid of it until you reprogram it, until you write new yeah. lines of programming. So instead of just writing those off when they happen, we need to like, hold on, let's take that. Let's let me as the chief programmer of my mental computer. Yeah. Like I just wrote some shitty yeah. code by accident. I don't pretend <laughs> I didn't write it. I actually have to extract it yeah. and rewrite new commands. And if you don't do it and you do those microsecond programs every day, you become the thing that you mock. Nope. That lady, if if you would have told her, I guarantee you, if you took that lady two years ago and said, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you're going to say on national TV with 50 million people watching you, she would have said no, and she would have passed a lie detector test saying she would have never did it. But those little micro bad pieces of code in that head, because that's what they do. They take these little pieces of code, and they're constantly dropping them in. As I've said many times, we call them fenords. It's disinformation in plain sight over and over and over again, And a marketing rule that we had back when I did marketing at the corporate level, if I can touch you seven times with a message, you may not act on it, but you'll never forget that message. Six times you might forget it, four times you will, but if I can touch you with a message seven times, you'll never forget it. It's now hardwired into your brain, and it will influence you even if I don't get exactly what I want out of it. That's happening to you every day, hundreds and hundreds of times a day, and if you are not vigilant to it, it will have... The desired result in your mind even if you don't think it's happening
1: well i think that's why correct when that we you... evolve into higher levels of freedom or 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 higher higher levels of protecting individual rights over collective will hmm. it's never like yay we won freedom i'm going home <laughs> right, right. Right. Because From the moment you get there, it's a constant onslaught trying to bring you further and further and further towards away from protecting individual yep. rights over collective will. And yet those of us who are more freedom oriented, we do just want to go home and done. And stop. like I just want to live my life. Right. And I, I think that's part of why we see that surge up of collective will over individual rights because the collective will thinks the people who currently agree with whatever the collective will is, thinks they're going to be fine. Not realizing that once that cultural shift of allowing collective will to override individual rights, they're going to be the individual at some point. They may not be right now, but give it five years and you are.
0: So collective will, that's the price of freedom. is Go ahead. Anyway, uh collective will earlier when we were talking, I had a brief thought. I was thinking about three authors that seem very drastically different. One is a guy named James Cavanaugh he's a passed away a few years ago. He was a priest in the Catholic Church that left the priesthood and became one of uh, the most prominent poets in America. Uh, a guy named Car- Carlos Castaneda It's kind of like kind of dope filled like s- psychological religious metaphysical. <laughs> crazy sci-fi and then Richard Bach, who's very (laughs) metaphysical, but much more mellow than Castaneda. Uh, But they all, all in their writings had a a theme that would come out over and over again of the concept that if there's 8 billion people in the world, there's not one world with 8 billion people. And if there's 8 billion worlds, each one of us has our own world that we create for ourselves, that we observe for ourselves I can't think of the physicist's name, but there's a physicist with the concept of biocentrism that we literally will into existence many things through our observation of them. But the the programming seems designed to take that away. That's actually a natural state of hu- a human being. When John and I walk through the same forest, we both have an appreciation for it, but we both perceive it entirely differently. And the goal of the state seems to be To make us perceive it the same way or to make sure that if we put 50 people in there, 25 perceive it this way and 25 perceive it that way. That's actually even more useful to the state because now we have a bifurcation. and Now we can manipulate to that bifurcation and that modern tribalism when we're actually supposed to all be individuals seeing things that way. And what Nicole was saying, she's gone now, but she probably needs more drinks. Um, I'm
1: here. I was just letting the cat out.
0: Uh, okay. Um, you know, there was a about here I didn't know it was here. What were you saying? I don't know. Now you, the cat. Collective will. Collective, will.
1: Collective will. Individual nah, I'm rights.
0: Lost. I'm, I'm going to let somebody else take over. No, and then you're I walking know. in the forest and you have
3: two groups that both think yeah. differently and it's a better way to control people. Like, it is. you have to understand the
0: mechanisms of control within. Oh, it was it's scary. scary. It, it was the constant fighting for it's higher scary to think freedom of freedom in our, in our own lives. How yeah. many people here? Would have called. It, I think everybody here would say you're some form of anarchist, agorist, what have you. Today, is there anybody here that would have said if I said, "What is your primary political or anti-political ideology?" 15 years ago, that would have said, "I'm an I'm an an agorist or an a, 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 a anarchist." I wouldn't have. I would have said I'm a libertarian.
1: I was I was already yeah. by then, but I'm weird. <laughs> okay, I were also like a socialist. At I was a so I was just 15. I just made the decision and I'm done. I also. I've read some philosophy and I've, you know, read writings by, yeah, it, I don't need to read that much of them because I think I get it,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, but so when we get right. into long discussions about this philosopher wrote that or the other thing, I don't know. Just leave me alone. Right. I don't want to hurt got, other yeah. people. I,
2: I got something on collective will. Um, sorry if I cut you off there,
1: Nicole. Yeah, um, okay, that was
2: it. Um, so, There's this concept called reification, which came to mind when I wanted to mention it earlier, but it totally naturally came up. So reification is when that that which is abstract is made real or concrete. And so the best way to overcome the collective will is to point out that there's no such thing as a collective will or a group will or the will of the majority is a popular term. Um, it's we all. It's our individual. Individuals have wills. Individuals have desires. Individuals have uh, choices and beliefs. And so, one thing that government and they try to do in public school as well is try to force this. This groupthink, and the perfect example, and it's, it allows governments to get away with all sorts of atrocities. And I shouldn't even say government. The concept of government is reification as well. I should say it allows bad actors who use government as a means of carrying out their ends to get away with a lot of murder. And so the classic examples, when everyone says, well, we bombed Iraq, or we sent our troops over to the Middle East, or I can't believe we... Uh, took out Fallujah like that and killed all those innocent civilians. And I always challenge them and say, what do you mean we? Were you over there? Did you serve? Were you the one pulling the trigger, right? It isn't we that did it. I had nothing to do with any of those atrocities. I never would even think to do any of that right. type of stuff but when people are like well we did it then they get involved they have ownership in it and it's like the same thing as us versus them the football team mentality it's like well it's my team i'm part of the we um therefore i have some sort of obligation i have a responsibility i have ownership in that and it makes it easy to condition and control people When in reality, we're all individuals, we're all responsible for our own actions, and we don't participate in the actions of those in power, right? And so this whole government, this state thing, it's an abstract concept that is imprinted upon us all throughout our youth and public schools, of course, do a great tool. So I would challenge people, anytime you say we, when you're talking about America, or America is another example of reification, make sure that you be more specific and say the United States military or the P- George H.W. Bush or the commander-in-chief or this general made this decision because you had nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of people. Well, who you're like
2: funding, funding it, it though. Either. This is true. There is some right. responsibility in the funding, but at least we're coerced into Only that oftentimes. Only if you earn
1: money, Hawk. Only if you earn money.
2: Income.
3: <laughs> Air quotes. Right. right. Exactly. You have the income. Exactly. You have yeah, I had another like, thing
2: by by us not stopping it. I lost you there. Um, uh, one other thing when saying, Jack was by,
3: talking, us about- not stopping it like we become.
0: What are we gonna do about him?
1: I
2: don't know. <laughs> he needs to get like tether he on his phone Rose or something. Actually, froze with to get the pouty out
1: on the video, so that's kind of good.
2: But it was cute still.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm gonna do
3: this for that my phone back. next time.
1: Yeah, tether, tether. Um, an,
2: another great thing is, so we, I realized in my, my growth and like my self-improvement journey that it's one thing to read a book about Buddhism or peaceful parenting or nonviolent communication. It's, it's one thing for us to have a conversation and encourage people to recognize when they're carrying out a program. And it's another thing entirely when you're in the moment, in the actual game of life, Uh, and you are carrying out the program, right? And so this is why mindfulness, I think, is so important. Being present in the moment, free of judgment, right? Being conscious in the present moment. Because we can talk to our blue in the face about we need to interrupt our own patterns, our own programs, and we ought not to yell and scream at our kids, for example. But if we don't practice mindfulness or we don't have that as a skill, a tool in our, in our tool belt, then it's really difficult to interrupt those patterns. And I always think about, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Great, great work for growth, business relationships, everything, success, activism. And the very first habit is to be proactive. And so he has this distinction between reactive and proactive and reactive is when you're carrying out the program that was imprinted upon you by your parents or the school or your neighbors or whatever. Proactive is whenever you can choose. And he says there's this great, um, powerful moment between stimulus, something happens to you, your wife says something to you, your kids act out or whatever, and response. And most people reactively just go to their triggered response. But in that moment between stimulus and response, if you have that extra consciousness and that mindfulness, you can pull back and say, whoa, wait a second. I'm starting to feel a little frustrated. Or this is something that I heard on the Unloose the Goose podcast where I I always say we or whatever. And it's through the mindfulness practice, which meditation can help with, that you can actually be more conscious of when you're carrying out those programs. And so. I, I, in my struggles with anger and kind of lashing out on my kids and stuff, that was something that really helped me a lot because I knew the literature, I knew the books, I knew how I ought to be acting or how I ought to be responding, but I was still doing it. And it wasn't until right. I got into mindfulness practice that I was able to interrupt it in the moment and not carry out those negative behaviors.
1: You know, it's really funny. Cause in the and comments, of somebody, somebody called me out for saying COVID <laughs> instead of government. For the crisis right. to change no, my language, and it totally triggered me for a second. I was like, "Well, I got to examine how I feel about that because they're basically right." <laughs> Except for you know, I think it's above government, but that's a totally different debate. But yeah. you were right; I shouldn't be calling it COVID caused. Right. But it, so it's it, it still happens like in little stupid things like that too, right? You're like, "I feel triggered. Why do I feel triggered? I need hmm. to analyze this." But right. how yeah, do we that's evolved that's, right like, there? Right, so we we talk about how to analyze ourselves, right, or fix ourselves. How do you help your brother-in-law who swallowed the red or the blue pill and is just, like, coming to a discussion with you to win? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, about whatever, about orange fan bad or or whatever it is.
0: I I don't know, but where I was going to go with what John said might actually help with that maybe taking fishing or hunting because what i was going to say in everything yeah. that john was talking about john was talking about theory versus practice there you can read all about the concept of detachment and meditation but until you do it it's just an idea it's not something right. that you actually you put into practice to me i'm not going to sit around under the Bodhi tree or whatever it's just not me but when i walk in the forest when i'm up in a tree stand with my bow and I'm waiting for that deer or when I'm out and, and I, and I, sh- I take that, that flexible rod and I flip that bait out. And next thing I know, there's this 20 pound fish connected to me from a hundred yards away by this one thin line and it's making this surging run and that drag screaming. That's meditational for me. And I yeah. promise you, when I've had a big redfish or a shark on or something like that, I have never once in the middle of that experience thought about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Or freaking even the IRS audit I have to deal with, like in that moment, that moment is pure because it's natural. It's me. It's that animal. It's it is in that moment. It's it's the flight of the arrow or it's it's the pull on that reel or or it's that. That bird that I've noticed flickering through the trees, or whatever, uh, you know, sitting in a tree with a bow and having a bird land on their freaking arrow that's knocked in your bow because it doesn't even know you're a person anymore and look at you and try to figure out what you are. Like, so maybe that brother-in-law engaging in any discussion will not make that person at all really consider if they're if they're coming to you in conflict, like Nicole just asked about, you didn't say like, how do I bring it up with them? Talk to them about it, or whatever. You said they came to you in conflict. Like you can't fix that person at that point. But like when I changed my diet and I started losing weight, I didn't realize how shitty I felt until I stopped feeling shitty. And I think sometimes with the way you're connected to these things, you don't realize how much it's pulling on you until you cut the freaking cord. So you find something that a person yeah. can do, that thing that puts you in the zone that makes you have that experience, whatever it is, and you do that. And and what I was going to say before you asked the question, Nicole, was for for you yourself, find that thing. And if you don't have that thing, find something and go do that. Make it a regular part of your life. Because when you separate from that control mechanism, then and only then can you actually see it, and then you feel it when it hooks back in.
1: Yeah, and- this um, needs to be turned off when you. Oh, find that's the him. devil.
0: This yeah. this needs to be turned off. That is yes. Yeah, that's That's the, rough. Rough. That is the, the phone mark phone of the beast. No You man can't could, could buy or sell without it. And it was either in his right hand or on his forehead. That is the beast right there. The cell phone. And
1: yeah, it's such yep. a powerful tool. But yeah, turning that off, going into airplane mode is a great idea.
2: Uh, especially at night when you sleep. Totally getting out up. right there by your head.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: That's a that's great Jack the hunting and the fishing and stuff
0: or whatever it is for you
2: yeah, it doesn't that's have good. to be sitting under the tree or sitting in an uncomfortable lotus position. I was never able to do that, and it was uncomfortable. I'm not flexible. Very flexible. Mine would be just walking meditation, or just thinking about it and understanding the
0: concept.
2: But walking meditation is perfect. Or going fishing, or going Martial out in the woods arts, walking like, around.
0: like arts, like jujitsu or something, because yeah. you will let that thought come in. And if you're sparring with somebody, you let that weird thought come in. That's when you get your ass flipped, right? Like so, like. Yeah. You, you learn by, by just getting something. Walking is like one of my, you take a walk in the woods, take a walk in your garden, garden, do something that is yeah. not of this world, but of the world, right? So like this world yeah. is the fake world. The world is the world that grows food. That's it's right. the world that you, 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 you harvest from and that you contribute back to. The world is the world where you have a conversation with somebody. None of this shit comes up because you're talking about, hey, look at that sunrise. Yeah. I think the reason why music
3: is so powerful, Mm. I think the reason why music is so powerful is that you can enact or engage emotions and feelings and thoughts that are outside of this world, outside of the regular sort of day to day. It's like your, your soul can soar, right? Whatever that thing that makes your soul soar and makes your soul free is that which you should be doing in the state of affairs that the world is in now. It's like Jack said, you have to pull yourself out of the, uh, out of the matrix so that you can see it clearly. Right. And if, if you, like for me, I love singing and making music because the man that I am gets to be on display for God and glory, whatever that is to somebody, right? You get to be fully yourself, whatever that is. And in the face of death, it means nothing because your spirit is free. And that I think is the core.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do what you love. That's a great way to overcome social conditioning yeah. and social engineering. If you're just so zoned in on your hobby, your sport, your work, your family, your spouse, yeah. whatever. And like, that's your life. You don't have time to be manipulated because you're just living your best life. I think that, and that's like, that's a foundational thing that can solve all sorts of your problems and all sorts of the problems of the people around you. And just Make you more happy, healthy, free get rid human of being. Of your
3: fear of death. Yeah. If you rid yourself of the fear of death, then you can stand as a divine being in the face of whatever comes and you can declare to the universe, I am this in the face of this darkness. I am the light, whatever that means to you.
2: That's next level. I'm hip with that, but then I have kids that are young and I'm like, I'm man, I am afraid of leaving them, I you know, it. until I've finished my work that, here with them.
1: Wow, my whole
2: activism changed when I had kiddos. The first time I got arrested, when I had like a one year old, I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not going to be getting up in cops' faces yeah. like that anymore. That was not good for yeah. mama or baby. Nope. It's like I the agree. movie The
3: Patriot fucking with Mel Gibson, right? Like, yeah, he's like, I can't, one. I don't, I don't, I don't have the liberty of, of,
2: of, of fighting for freedom. I have a responsibility to my children. But there's a balance.
3: But then
1: his responsibility was
2: freedom for the kids, you know?
1: And the kids, yep, kids.
2: Yep. That's I but, guess it depends on what it is. What's your sure. call is what you're fighting for, something you give
1: is. or something you have.
2: It's the natural exercise. state,
1: right? it's really it's showing people have
2: deviated
0: away from it big time. Yeah, I think it's something you yeah. claim.
1: It is something and, you claim. And I don't yeah. think
0: anybody can do it for you. And I don't think it can be given to you. I I certainly, a politician can't do it for you. I, I think the opportunity for freedom can be gifted, but I don't think the acquisition of freedom can be transferred. It has to be claimed.
2: Then you value it.
0: Yeah. It's like paying off debt. Yep. Like if you pay off your own debt, you won't go back into debt. If I pay your debt <laughs> off for you in a year, you will be in more yep. debt than you were when I paid it off for you. Yeah. Yep. So
1: what? So it's about time to wrap up. Um, what I'm just going to go around the horn on this one. I think with social conditioning, it's it's always been there. There has always been that struggle between the collective and the individual, right? And as we kind of move out of this discussion, what would you tell somebody who just woke up and started seeing that it exists? Because I think what's happening right now is a lot of people are realizing, wait, this has been orchestrated. I don't know who's orchestrating this thing. At some point, it doesn't matter who's orchestrating it. Now what? Now that I see it, what what do I do?
2: Right. Who's on
1: first? I don't know. Did I just I'll like, go first. make the geese so, so, speechless? It's yeah, a
2: great so, question. The,
3: what, yeah, it's a super good question. What, what's the first step to take to break out of the social conditioning matrix? Um, for, for me, it's like I said earlier, stalking my fears, like, what am I actually afraid of? Like, am I afraid of getting COVID? What would that look like? Would I, and then I, I game it out and I, I process it and I use my imagination and I see those things that I'm afraid of. And I imagine what it would be like to go through them until I am okay with going through them. I do it over and over and over again until I'm okay with going through whatever that situation is. Then I know that thing does not have control over me ever again. That's for me.
2: Yeah, Tim Ferriss right. wrote about that in, in uh, his uh, Four Hour Work Week. How a lot of people think about the best case scenario when they want to do something, we'll think about the worst case scenario, and then you can overcome your fear. That's great fear setting, he called it. Yeah. Um, I, willing, would <laughs> I would encourage. I would encourage folks that are just waking up to be patient. And to be calm because a lot of people, when they first start discovering all the manipulation and social engineering conspiracy that's going on in the world, they start freaking out. And then they even like yeah. damage their relationships too. And there's this classic activist truther thing where like they just pound it on their immediate family and their siblings and their loved ones and their high school friends. they just pound it away, and they get to a point where they're like, hey, man, we don't want to have you come over for the poker game anymore. I kind of blurred that edge (laughs) with my high school buddies. Yeah, it's it's not worth ruining good relationships, whether they're awake or not. You know, God bless them. If they still watch football and can enjoy and unwind, maybe that's more of a great place. Maybe that's more free than the guy that's focused on his computer freaking out all day. And then I would – what would help with that patience and that calmness is to understand that the price of Liberty is eternal vigilance and that there is an ongoing struggle between tyranny and freedom between evil and good. And it's going to be going on long after we're dead, long after our grandchildren are dead. And just to take a pause, don't freak out. Don't let it ruin your life. Continue on your path, living your best life. Like we were saying earlier, and just understand that it's an honor to be part of the struggle,
0: but it doesn't have
2: to consume you and stress
0: you out. So good, words. good stuff there, John. Uh, what you're talking about at the beginning there is something I heard about a long time ago. And it just had to do with basic libertarianism and it's called Messiah complex. I know the truth. So I'm going to go yeah. out, spread the gospel. And you know, it's like, Stop knocking on my door on Sunday. I want to watch football. Leave me alone. And you're doing that to your family and -hmm. your friends. And yeah, they don't it's like a person, I found Amway. Oh shit. You know, it's don't do (laughs) completely, completely. Let me tell you, you get two friends and they get two friends. And that's how you sound to people if you if you can't shut shut up, up, if you can't stop. Um on the bigger question of social engineering, where to start out. I've been teaching this for 12 years now, and that is you're either designing your life or you're living the life that was designed for you. I've probably mm. said that a thousand times in 12 years, and it's absolutely the case. And what you're realizing is the fundamental truth that your life has been designed for you based on where you were born, how much money you had, when you went to where you went to school, et cetera. There is a standard path for a person like you to walk in life. It's it's already there. It's laid out. And if you don't take control, you're going to walk it to the point they can say, person A will probably die with this much money at this age. That's how insurance companies know how much to charge you because it's that blatant design. So what you have to do is instead of worried about trying to fix it, because you ain't going to fix it, start instead of worrying about convincing your brother in law, because you ain't going to convince your brother in law, how do I design my life so this shit largely doesn't affect me? And, and because I, I, you know, I know uh-huh. Xavier and John well, but I know Nicole better. Now, Nicole, I know lives a lot like I do in her backyard. There is no Joe Biden sign or Donald Trump sign and nobody gives a shit. And if if you walk out her back door, You're you're in nature and no one cares. And I think X is there and I think John's working to get there. And that's how my backyard is. I'm more worried about, you know, how much my koi are going to eat today than I am about anything going on in the world. But I didn't flip a switch and get this. It took years of work, but it also took knowing where I wanted to be and designing my life to go there. And that's what you have to do. Stop worrying about becoming an info warrior or you're going to go fix this or you're going to go make it right. You're not. You're not going to change it. All you can change is you. That's a big enough order. And once you change you, if you look behind you, you will have in in that journey changed lives of hundreds of other people. Maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands. You don't know until you take that journey yourself. But you have to take that journey yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. If somebody if you found out there was like ten thousand pounds of gold in one pound bars on top of a hill, you might be like, hey Xavier, let's go get some gold. And if Xavier's like, I don't know. Look, like, fuck that, I'm gone. And I'm up the hill and I'm coming down with like, look at all this gold. And he's like, Well, I don't fuck that. I'm back up. I'm going to get more, right? You would just go do it. That's how you have to live your life. You've discovered. That this whole thing was designed as a trap, and that all you have to do is step out of it. So step out of it and get on with designing your life, and stop living the one somebody designed for you. That's that's the key here. That's yeah. how simple it really is. It's, yeah, it's, it's it is. kind of sad that it's that simple, but it really is. I didn't is. say it was easy. No, I said it was simple. Yeah. But
1: when you, I think when it's you first simple, see it, what you have is a high level of fear because you realize the outcome of the kinds of controls being perpetrated on the public or the masses are designed to hold them in harm. It's to control them, causing them harm. And the, you know, we've seen spikes throughout history of where the harm is so bad that we have mass exterminations and torture. And I think when people start seeing that angle of it, they get, really scared. And I thought Xavier's point about, well, start addressing that fear first is important. Um, and then realize you can control exactly one person in this whole scenario. Right. That's the only person that you can control. And I'm pointing at myself for those of you who are on the podcast. Um, I saw Hamilton last week. Has anybody seen Hamilton?
2: No, I've heard no, it. Oh my God! Good.
1: First yeah. of all, they're singing about I enjoy like it. the glory of being oh, in the, the revolution, and like being part of history. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. be part of history. I just want to do my. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of yeah, the lines yeah, from yeah. Hamilton, which fits here, was "Talk less, smile more." When you first yeah. realize what's going on, talk less and smile more when you're interacting with people, because they're gonna ask you why you're happy. And I think that's how you bring them in a little bit at a time. You're not fixing their problems. You just say what they're ready to hear and you talk less and you smile more.
0: You know what? You just said something that gave me a mind blow there when you said you don't want to be part of history. (laughs) Like, I think a one liner that maybe would put perspective in anybody's life is you are making history. Every single person right now is making history and that sets a level of responsibility in your, in, in your life. You're, you're making history and you're making history for your, the people that will eventually refer to you as an ancestor. You are going to be somebody's ancestor someday. You are making history for that person. And so you can spend your life like a fly up against the window, just, working really, really hard, but all you're going to end up doing is dying in the windowsill, but you can actually make some history. It's worth making. Awesome.
1: Okay. For those of you listening, we're going to wrap up. You should up. end
0: on that because that was...
1: Yeah, that's it. That was awesome. But I also want to encourage you to, if you haven't joined us on social, we're on MeWe. We're not on Parlor yet. Do we need to do something to be on Parlor? I put stuff on Parlor.
0: We're individually um, there. Individually, I are
1: there. You can find us. Um, yeah. has links to our Telegram group. Um, somebody said that we have a Discord group. I didn't set it up. I don't know where it is. But nice. It's a movement. Uh, if it's there, it's there. Let it's me really know good. where it is. I'll join. And well, also, of course, on Facebook and Twitter, the and Telegram YouTube. The group. Is
3: really fun, by the way.
1: yeah. But all of our central stuff is at unloose dot com. And guys, do us a favor: head over to your if you're listening to this on podcast, give us a review on iTunes or yeah. on Stitcher or wherever you listen, because that really helps bring up our visibility. And I think it's going to be yeah. really useful for people to hear these conversations as we flow into election season and the the, as Jack likes to say, the ass clown circus. <laughs> Ask clown circus. Yeah, nice. it's already in full full um, orchestration at this point. So, with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Don't forget, Jack's on the survival right? Net, com, right? Net.com. Okay, John is freedomcells.org. Xavier is Firony. Firion. Firon. The Firon partner. com, And I'm at livingfreeintennessee.com. Have a great evening. Peace.
0: Unloose the goose We'll take no